Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Sorry about that. It will come to me probably right in the middle of reading Luke chapter 4. I'll remember the other chapter that I was going to read from. Luke chapter 4. Begin reading in verse 16. I'll read on the New King James Version, as is my custom. God's word declares, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing by, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Let's go, Lord, in prayer together. I do remember my sermon. I'm just waiting for them to return. We come into a phrase in Jude that is huge. It has so much scripture. It has so much bearing on almost every account within scripture, every narrative that we encounter that it is difficult to not spend an enormous amount of time on it. And I'm not talking about a couple of weeks, I'm talking about months of messages that I'm trying to pare down to three. And it involves a simple declaration that's really only two words in Jude that characterize false teachers that creep in unawares on us, that catch us off guard. And one of the facets that should alert us to that is they reject authority. And we might easily say, of course, and move right along in our reading and our study 
but this is such an enormous topic of Scripture, stretching all the way back to the fall, not only of man, but of angels, that encompasses the law, the prophets, it encompasses the gospels, church history, it is and should be a very primary concern of ours, is the understanding of the biblical place of authority and what kind of teachers would come in and undermine it and how they do it without us even knowing. I've been trying to emphasize that aspect of it in our study, is that these people are coming in without us knowing it. And so I have taken very deliberate measures to try to hit you on the side of the head with things you take for granted are good. Like any good Pharisee, you would just say, this is a great thing. And then we find that instead of it leading us to righteousness and godliness, we find it leading to lewdness and things that God hates. Similarly, I'm going to do that with rejecting authority in areas that we are far too comfortable in, not only as a nation, but as a church. And it will be, hopefully evident to you that these surprising sources of where the rejection of authority comes from will bring us to repentance. And perhaps one of the reasons I struggle this morning with our Bible readings because I have so many. It is that uh, strong a statement when they call us to reject authority. So we're going to talk about authority. Um, not just divine authority, but the authorities of men. The authorities from our homes, into our church, into our society, and into heaven itself. For all of these authorities are of God. And we find rampant throughout Scripture that one of the primary actions of men to evidence their sin and their pride is rebellion. And you've heard that many times from me um, because it's many times in God's Word. And when you preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, you cannot miss it because, as I said, it encompasses so much of Scripture, so many of the narratives. So I want to delve into this um, by reminding us of how we found authority. But the first authority I understood in my life was my mom and dad. The second authority I understood in my life was my Sunday school teacher. Because I remember one of my earliest memories in California was messing around in Sunday school and my, and my Sunday school teacher, I was really messing with the girl next to me, 
Not normal for me, by the way. I think I might have, I think I was just wanting to touch your hair, but somehow I pulled it, I think. Not sure. It was a long time ago. That was like half a century ago. And so the science school teacher came up and grabbed my hand rather forcefully and smacked it, because back then you did that to children. And nobody took you to court. And I was pretty mad. Uh, she would slap my hand in front of everybody and scold me. And I said, I'm telling my mom and dad. She looked at me and said, so am I. <laughs> and I discovered something that day. My Sunday school teacher had more authority than me in my home with my mom and dad. My Sunday school teacher didn't get in trouble. I got in more trouble for mouthing off to her, not just for pulling the kid's hair, but for mouthing off to my authority. The next authority I learned about was my Sunday school, my, I'm sorry, my kindergarten teacher. I learned that she was an authority in my life. I don't want to get into that too much. It's embarrassing. The fourth authority in my life, and this is going to be hard for some of you who haven't been in my generation, don't understand what church was like, um, was I learned the authority of the church usher. We had ushers in our church, which you might say, well, that's pretty formal. So you came in, and they, they had little lapel pins that said they were an usher. And you came in, and they had bulletins, and they would walk you to your pew. And, and uh, you know, they, they always seemed to have a sixth sense in the back of your head of whether you were following them or not. And because they could always tell how far to the front you wanted to go. Maybe they just memorized everybody's seat, but it was like if somebody's falling back too far, they slowed down, turned around, and said, oh, you want to be here. And if you stayed right with them, they'd take you right up to the front. That was their job. And then they hand you a bulletin as you walked into the, into the pew. And they also monitored and, and did different things during the service. And uh, I learned as a very young man that they have authority over me. Um, because my mom was in the choir, my dad was in the sound system, sound booth. And uh, I was messing around during the song service. I wasn't running around. I was messing around in my pew during the song service. And my mom's up there in the choir. She can't do anything. My dad's back there in the sound booth. He can't do anything, and I know it. I'm six years old. Suddenly, my arm hurt because a man had just grabbed it with a man's grip and pulled me out of the pew and escorted me to the rear of the church and scolded me and then escorted me back to my pew and plunked me down pretty hard. Suddenly I was very interested in the service that day. I looked steadfastly at my hymn book and then at my Bible, never looking up because I know who was looking at me if I looked up. That was my mom from the choir, my dad from the sound booth. And when I got home, I learned about the usher's authority. I got in trouble again. So yeah, we all hopefully have some idea of authority. We learned it very young. Um, now you notice my first four engagements with authority didn't have anything to do with God. But they had everything to do with God. Because those authorities over me as a child were established by God. Now, did God establish ushers and Sunday school teachers? No. 
What I also learned fairly in my top 10 authorities I learned in my life was that pretty much every adult in the church is my authority. I learned that pretty early on, as well as at school and in society. These are of God, and so God calls us to this. And what we find is that one of the things that false teachers do is they come in and the first, not necessarily the first, but one of the primary objectives is to lead people in rebellion and ultimately in rejection of authority. And rejection of authority is what brings rebellion and culminates rebellion, both. It's at both ends of it. You question authority, you rebel against it, you reject authority at both ends, really. And so we want to take some time. As I warned you throughout Jude, we're going to take time to study this. And it's going to take us into a lot of Scripture, um, both New Testament and Old Testament, from the Genesis through Revelation. Um, for this is where God has exercised his authority, where men have rebelled, men and angels. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Well, God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for your word. And we pray that we might be responsive. That is, first, careful listeners, wanting, hungering, thirsting for your truth. That we might also not only be careful listeners, but also considerers, as we consider our own ways. And evaluate them, not based upon what is comfortable to us, but what is true. Lord, that we might be ready to transform ourselves by your Spirit's power to be more and more like your Son, that we might surrender our will to yours, even as Christ Jesus himself surrendered his will to your will. Lord, help us to similarly give in to the authority that you have over us as our creator, as our God, as our Lord, as our Savior. And it's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Well, in Jude, we have three examples given to us in the earlier verses of the Israel in the wilderness, of the angels that fell and left their abode and dwelt among men, and of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to use again that format to kind of shape our idea of rebellion. Uh, but I wanted to also insert the fact that that example of Israel from times past didn't stay there. It extended itself. It was uh, and is even to this day a attitude of the people of Israel. Moses had to deal with it, and as we've just read, Jesus had to deal with it, Paul had to deal with it, and we're still dealing with it. And that is an attitude that ranks one as 
qualified to challenge authority based upon who your parents are, of all things. But it's really more than that. It's more about the relationship that we have with God. And again, this is going to be something that's going to make you uncomfortable. And I want that to happen because you believe this is a good thing because you've been raised being, being told as a good thing. But we find instead that it brings about exactly what God's word says it will bring about. And that is that you reject authority in your life at all levels. We are seeing it in our society and we go tisk tisk and we wring our hands. We say, oh, this is horrible. This must be the end times. Um, and we see what, uh, how people rebel against the authority of police officers um, in the field and uh, uh, of politicians versus other politicians, of military versus higher command and things like that. And, and we go, oh, but it all started somewhere. And I believe we carry with us in our attitudes the very seed of rejecting authority. And so we're going to look at these examples. And the example I read from in Luke 4, <laughs> and a similar example that's going to happen later in Jesus' life, are both very strong evidences that it survived Israel's wilderness wanderings. You see... The two examples I've already used in this context, I don't want to dwell on, but I just want to throw them out to remind you of them. The two examples I've already used is of Miriam and the sons of Korah and their two rebellions. Now remember in the circumstance of Miriam, Moses' sister, she took offense at the fact that Moses took on another wife and that was uh, not an Israelite, quote-unquote, in terms of birth. Um, and uh, she and her brother started talking against younger brother Moses to the point that God had to intervene. And Miriam is given leprosy. And her challenge is, is that aren't we all the same? And the same to the sons of Korah, aren't we all held to the same standards? Don't we all have this, this uh, the Holy Spirit, the sons of Korah says, aren't we all priests Aren't we all that? And, and yes, you're all the trial Levi, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are the chosen ones of God. And the sons of Korah want to challenge Moses and Aaron and say, hey, you know, we're all equal before God. Aren't we all, don't we all have the same lineage? Aren't we all derived from Levi? And God says, okay, you bring your incense before me. Moses, Aaron, you bring your incense before me, and I will show you what I think of your idea that you're all the same before me. I will show my distinction. I will distinguish between their incense and yours. And the way that happened is the earth opened up and the sons of Korah went into Sheol live. Boom. That was a rebellion. They didn't but it was, look at its foundation. Its foundation similar to the foundation of the rebellion of Nazareth and the rebellion of the Pharisees that we see in Jesus' ministry. Why did they rebel against God? Because they considered themselves an equal to him. 
They considered themselves equal to Jesus. Is this not a common person that we have had? We, we saw how he was raised. We, his mom and dad are around here somewhere. Probably in the synagogue. That's where he's speaking. He is on the same plane as we are. We are all equal. And they take issue with his teaching and with his, with his uh, and the way they would say it was putting on of airs and, and, and exalting himself. Uh, that's certainly how they would have viewed it to the point that that day, while he taught them the scriptures and everyone was amazed on Sunday morning during the worship service, it wasn't Sunday, it was Saturday, I know that, it's a synagogue, but while they're amazed at the sermon and they're touched by it, before the evening service, they're already trying to throw him over a cliff to kill him. What is the seed behind that kind of rejection of authority? When you recognize the authority, you go, wow, that's, wow. That's how, what they said. When they listened to him preach, they said, this man speaks with authority. He speaks with grace. He, he has truth. And the words, we only have the first sentence of his sermon is all we got. All, all Luke records for us is the first sentence. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your midst, in your hearing. And that was how he began to speak. And he went on to speak in the whole sermon, and, and they were amazed at it. So it wasn't that they didn't recognize the authority, it's that they didn't want the authority over them. But the premise of the attitude that we can reject or rebel and overthrow authority is founded in the idea that he is just one of us. And we are all the same. Similarly, when you're going to encounter Jesus later on, uh, or Jesus is going to encounter the Pharisees later on, and they're going to come up and they're going to challenge him, saying, by what authority are you doing these things? Point blank challenging that. And of course, Jesus' response is to say, well, why don't you answer my question by what authority John the Baptist do what he did? And they're, oh man, now if we say it's a, the devil or of himself, the people know he's a prophet, but if we say he's God, then it, we're in trouble. We can't win with that one. Jesus knew that. Um, but they had already rejected the authority of a prophet of God, John the Baptizer, um, Jesus is going to just challenge them. This is really not about whether I have the authority. This is about whether you want to surrender to the authority. But when you look at their line of reasoning, they immediately go into the whole idea of, we are Abraham's children. What is that saying? We are the children of Abraham. We are all the children of Abraham. We are all Israelites. Jesus says, no, you are. Maybe physically you are, but that's not the same. Because if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. I'm the father's only begotten son. I do the works of the father. I, I surrender my will to his will. I do his works, and his works are evident. You don't like those works, and you are rebelling against them. You're rejecting them. Um, you are of your father, the devil. And what do they want to do by the end of the conversation? They're ready to kill him. 
again. Jesus has to walk out away from them. You see, they recognized the authority. It stung their hearts. It penetrated them, but they did not want to submit to that authority. And the basis of their unwillingness to submit was we are all equal. We're all the same. The sons of Korah said the same thing. Aren't we all? And Moses doesn't have a word to say in defense against that. And this brings me to this concept that our nation and too many of our society is based upon, that is that we are all created equal. Let me just start off by saying none of you in this room were created. You were all begotten. Okay? Formed you in the womb, yes, through a mechanism called begottenness. And so Jesus Christ was begotten of the Father in the womb of Mary. So he wasn't created. He's not a created being. He forever was, ever is, ever will be. So you're all begotten. So let's just rule out the created part. But even if we, if we accept that, that you're all, as individuals, you're all created equal. One of the most precious founding declarations of our nation. We are founded on the premise that we are all created equal. And on that basis, we as a people rebelled against our king. It brought rebellion. We call it the Revolutionary War the British had a different word for it. They didn't call it the Revolutionary War. It was the rebellion. But notice the premise is the same. We start off by saying, well, we're all equal, and so I have my rights that are the same as your rights, and therefore I don't have to recognize your authority over me. I establish my own authority based upon my, our equality. And this has been the foundation of rebellion all the way back. Let's go to Satan. What was his declaration? I will be like the Most High. He considered himself equal with God. I'm as good as he is. You say, Pastor, you don't think we're all equal? Um, no. Some of you are smarter than other people. Some of you are stronger, and some of you are, are taller, and some of you are shorter, and some of you are faster, and, and you're not all equal. I'm sorry. Some of you have certain talents and abilities. Some of you can sing, and some of you just make a joyful noise. And that's, I mean, praise the Lord you do. If you, just, if you won't sing just because you don't think you can sing, well, swallow your pride and glorify God with your mouth. But um, we all have differences. And so when we talk about the fundamental rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and I've already, I don't even want to get into those, um, we exercise those by establishing that we have equal right, equal authority. It brings into the church, and we can magnify that another degree. 
because we can easily go to the scriptures and say, well, in the, in the family of God, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither male nor female. We are all the same. And to the extent to which those passages speak, I would agree 100%. But what we fail to realize is that God's word has instructions for women and instructions for men. He has instructions for slaves and he has instructions for masters. He has instructions for Jews and he has instructions for Gentiles. If they were all the same in the sense that you think of them, why are those all there? Because what Jesus was speaking to in terms of equality is your relationship with God, your um, position, your, your standing. There is no second-rate Christians. There aren't the first tier and the second tier. Um, that, that we all have the same salvation. But when it comes to uh, the relationships one with another, it is very obvious that God has established authority. So within the church, can we claim equality? Well, we all have the Holy Spirit. This is what we teach. Yes. You all have the Holy Spirit. Does that mean you're all equal? No, I'm pretty sure every passage about the gifts of the Holy Spirit speak about diversity, that you all have different differing gifts, differing capacities um, that you are to use to God's glory. And so in the midst of talking about great unity in Ephesians, and we can focus on the unity, 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 we stop and we recognize, wait a minute, but he has given to the church some who are what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Who have a unique role an authoritative role. And it is very simple to simply say on the premise that we all have the Holy Spirit, we're all sons of God, and we're all the same, to use that very seed to extend it beyond the biblical parameters and to use it as the guise for rebellion. And not recognizing the authorities that God has placed in the church. And this was going on rampantly. We could easily read a lot of passages out of the New Testament, can't we? You just got done in Sunday school studying Philippians. What was happening in Philippians 1? Paul says, these people are preaching Christ for all the wrong reasons. They just want to add affliction to my chains. It's not enough that I'm in prison. They want me to feel bad, too. <laughs> he didn't feel bad being in prison. He felt bad about false teachers coming to the church. He comes to the Galatians, he's like, who is bewitching you? And he tells them in Galatians 4, you, know, you haven't done me injury, but you know we had this very precious relationship, and these people come in and poison it. What is the poison? Paul, he's nothing, he's just one of us. He's just one of us. What does that sound like? Sounds like the sons of Korah, doesn't it? Moses there, and they're just one of us. We're one of them. We're the same. Why should they be in charge and not us? Who do they think they are? And so, 
from Satan all the way through into the church, this concept permeates the attitude of rejecting authority. It is a seed. And again, the seed sounds pretty good. It sounds, and, it, and, and there is some biblical merit to it. You can put that in there. And, and that's why Moses, when confronted with the, court, the, with the sons of Korah, it wasn't Korah himself, but his sons, um, doesn't rebuke them. The problem isn't the, the information of that we are all the children of God, that we are all the sons of Ad, Abraham, that we are all um, under the blood. Uh, the question is about how, why don't you recognize the biblical authority within the context of that. God has established authorities. Israel was ready to kill Moses, and God had to stop him. People of Nazareth attempted to kill Jesus. The Pharisees attempted to stone him to death. The Judaizers wanted Paul dead. The ultimate rejection of authority. And it comes in with a very simple message. We all have self-reign. But for the Christian, that isn't true. I'm going to explain this very carefully to you, because you know that I'm not a Calvinist by by any anywhere. So I believe in an independent will, that you have the liberty to choose, that you must choose, that whosoever will may come to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But once you've come to Christ, the act of accepting Christ, this is what it is. It is surrender. It is saying, not my will, but yours. You are becoming, instead of a slave to sin, a servant of God. And now, the entire Christian walk is characterized by not my will, but yours. That's why in the sample prayer of our Lord, one of the statements he says is, Lord, may your will be done on earth. Don't do this. When you say that prayer, Thy will be done on earth. Don't do this. Point over there. Point at the government. Point at the president. Point at the mayor. Don't you point at your teachers. Don't you point at your neighbors. Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this life, in this world, on this planet, may this prayer be submitting to do your will like we claim we're going to be doing all forever in heaven. Ultimately, we are, that's why when Paul says, I'm a living sacrifice, I've surrendered, I've put it to death, I'm I'm a new creature in Christ, I've put away my old life, and I've put on this new life that is characterized by I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do his will, not my own. 
And so that is the foundation when I say that you no longer in the Christian community have a right to exercise that will independence. You do not have it. Because you claim to have given it up. And once you recognize that God has established these authorities, it is a small thing, a teeny tiny thing, to surrender to those authorities because you've already done the huge thing, which is I have redefined myself, not my will, but yours be done. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's what a Christian is, a follower of Christ. Not our will, but yours be done. And so God has established these authorities. We've done the big thing. The small thing now is to be obedient to his authorities in our life. And they are in the home. They are in the church. They are in society. And God has instructions. And we recoil at them, and too many times they say, well, I have the Holy Spirit just like so-and-so. I have the Bible just like so-and-so. I can listen to yourself and realize who you are associating yourself with. Satan, Lucifer, sons of Korah, the men of Nazareth, the Pharisees. This seed that we are all created equal garners within man, nurtures within man a spirit of pride that rejects authority. It can easily take over churches and has. Because like I said, we have another magnitude of that, that we all have the Holy Spirit, that we are all children of God. And so when Paul writes to the slaves that are in the church. Boy, doesn't that bother you? There are slaves in the church. And there are masters in the church. There's instructions on that. How do you behave if you're a Christian slave? Do you have a right to seek and to demand liberty, because we're all the same. I'm a child of God, and my master's a child of God. I, don't, I shouldn't be a slave. No, that's not what God's word says. Well, there's neither male nor female in the kingdom of God. So why does right does God have to tell women to submit to their husbands? Wives, not women, wives. To submit to their husbands. Why a different set of rules for women in the church than men in the church? Because there are authorities God has established that have nothing to do with your standing, that have everything to do with the order that God has placed. Why among men are some chosen to be pastor teachers and some not? Because there's an order of authority in the kingdom of God. Do you not realize that that will be the way it will be for all eternity? There will be authorities 
there'll be thrones. So you go, oh, I got to submit for all eternity to God, absolutely. Not to your husband, because till death do us part, and that's it. Unless you're Mormon, then you're stuck forever. Good luck with that. When God establishes authorities in their life, it is, a, it is for a benefit. It is the order within the home. And he established that order before, in the home of a husband and wife before there was even sin. It has nothing to do with sin. He establishes the authorities within the church not to, to rectify sin, but because this is how he works. He chooses some, not everyone. In fact, the warning is out there, let not very many of you be teachers. So the warning is there because you have an accountability that is frightful that you have before God. So let not very many of you be teachers. But because we have this, this, this twisted germ of thought in our heart and our mind that strokes our ego, that we are all equal, and therefore we all have rights, and I'm going to exercise my equal rights, we have had nothing but turmoil as a result. It is the foundation of every rebellion of our nation's rebellion against her king, of, uh, in my lifetime, uh, and even before my lifetime, the, the rebellion of women, of wives against their husbands, of their, of their role in the, in the family and in society, and now in the church, um, that we have just cast off any recognition that I am under authority. I don't want it. I don't care if it's my apparel, my hairstyle, I don't care if it's my words, I am going to exercise my right because I am an equal. And you have confused equal position with equal authority. You have surrendered yourself to Christ. His will, not yours. And his will is that we submit to one another in love. We're going to talk about that extensively when we get to that passage there in Ephesians. Um, but I just want you to see that um, submitting to a man like Moses, uh, you might say, well, that would be easy because it's obvious. I mean, the guy glows. Literally. He has been in the presence of the glory of God and he glows. I could submit to a guy like that. An old bearded redheaded guy? I don't know. Another story. He's just my equal. No, they didn't want to submit to Moses. Glow or no glow. Jesus. Oh, I could submit to Jesus if he was my pastor. Really? Not if you think you're equal to him. Men of Nazareth wouldn't, even after hearing wonderful sermon that they all marveled at. That was an incredible message. Let's kill the guy. I 
I think every pastor appreciates that passage. Um, I grew up in an era where they talked about roasting the pastor on the way home. We didn't discuss sermon. We roasted the pastor. Oh, his tie was crooked. Whatever. He went too long, went too short, was too loud, was too soft. Whatever. When people like Jesus, Moses, Paul, and God himself in the heavenly realm are rejected in their authority, we consistently find this common claim. We are equals. And the fact is, is that that is not true. Not in areas of authority. So wives, you're not equals of your husband in the home. He answers to God for your home. He is responsible to God for your home. He is responsible for leading his children in the knowledge of God in that home. He will answer to God. He will be confronted by God for your home. The responsibility and the accountability is on his shoulders. That's what comes with authority, by the way. Not strutting around being waited on. Why would you make his job hard? Why would you make his accounting hard? Why make his responsibility hard? The Bible describes you as his helper. Help him. But I'm equal with him. We have equality in our home. But on the day of accounting, the thing God's going to challenge you with, why didn't you submit? to your husband, as to me. That's what you're going to be asked. Not all the rest. Your husband will be challenged on all the rest. You're going to be asked, why didn't you submit the authority I put in your life, in your family, in your home? Bring it right into the church. Same thing. Right into society, same thing. But the premise that we are all equal is the premise that is used by false teachers to encourage rebellion. And there, it's not the only one. As I said, this is, <laughs> this is a study that I'm trying to pare down to just like three or four bullets when I need about 16. So I have to prioritize. And when I read through Scripture and I look at the seasons of rebellion, I find over and over again this principle, and I see it today among false teachers that we are all equal. And by that, they do not mean what God means. They mean what man means, and that is to stroke my pride and saying, I have equal authority and equal rights. No, that is not what God means. 
When he says, you are all my children, you have equal access. You have equal relationship with him. But within the context of your social gathering, there are authorities that God places in your life, in your home, in your church, in society. And yes, that extends to even people you don't like and authorities you don't like. And we're going to talk about that down the road of peace. But I want to begin by challenging you that as soon as you hear the words come out, but we all have the Holy Spirit. We all are equal. We Think hard about what's coming next. Think hard about what company you've just joined. They use that same exact argument to rebel against the authorities that God placed in their life. For God has called some to leadership, not the majority, certainly not all, just some. And God calls upon you to surrender and to submit to those authorities in your life. And so I want to start off in this whole idea of rejecting authority to just challenge your thinking as you walk through this world, as you go to the workplace. We're all equal. So you're going to challenge your boss on that? I'm pretty sure you're going to lose your job. You should. You have a manager, you have, you have a supervisor, you have the owner, you have whatever, however many levels you have above you. You might even be more skilled than those above you. That doesn't make you equal, or even they're better. Because they have authority. And we recognize that authority. And so when the Bible talks about our relationships, um, never in God's word does it tell you to overthrow authorities in your life. Even if you're a slave, if you can get your liberty, if the master wants to give it to you, great. But you don't have the right to require it. You be a good slave. To God's glory. And we can philosophize over the ethicalness of slavery all we want. But in the condition of that, surrender, submit. Because you've already submitted yourself to me, and then I'll care for you. So are all men created equal? No. All men weren't created, and no, we're not equal, and we don't have the rights. The, our founding rebels claim we had for ourselves. Are we all believers? Yes. If you're in the church, do you all have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Does he work in each one? Yes. Does he work in each one the same? No. But he works that we all might have unity, which is not equality. Unity means I'm going to bring what I can bring to the table, and this person's going to bring what they can bring to the table, 
and this person's going to benefit me, and what I have is going to benefit them. Maybe what they're bringing more than I am, because we're not necessarily equal, but there's still benefit both ways. Did you know what would happen if no one came and I had a great sermon and none of you were here? I wouldn't preach it. I'd just shuffle home and I don't know what I'd do. Go kick the dog or something. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know. I'd be upset. God calls us to submit to authorities that are in our life. That means you need to recognize that authority and accept that authority as genuine, real. And the claim of equality has been consistently used to rebel and reject authority and it has been consistently judged by God. So take care. To be alert to those that come in and stroke your ego by saying, oh, you're wonderful. You have the Holy Spirit. You have, you have this, you have that, that somehow you can raise your head against your husbands. Raise your head against your pastor. Raise your head against your boss. Raise your head against your president. Raise your head against the officer that just pulled you over. Oh, no, you can't. For you're raising your head against your God. And you said, not my will, but yours be done to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for a very brief statement in Jude that is just so full of power and instruction. And Lord, we allow these concepts to creep into our not just our thoughts, but our very way of life, our very philosophy of life. And we see that they are of the evil one, that they are the twisting of what you, of your grace, that you have made us all your children. We are all, have access to your throne, that we all have your spirit within us and your word before us. And Lord, what a wonderful thing. And then for us to twist it to the point that we reject the authorities you've put in our life, Lord, forgive us. Keep us alert. Help us to see and to discern when we are being tricked into that which ultimately brings rebellion. Lord, we thank you for the authorities that you've put over us. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for praying not for them, but against them. For neglecting to be thankful for them and submitting to them. Lord, your word will bring peace. For you've promised it. We have neglected your word. And we see conflict in our homes, in our churches, in our society. That conflict is all rooted. We see it so evidently in our claim of equal rights. 
that there's no place for any authority in us over, except ourselves. Lord, this is chaos, and you know it, and so you've established this order for our benefit. Lord, of all the people on earth, let your people be found humbly submitting to your authorities. That your grace might be grace indeed, leading to righteousness and not lewdness. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.